0: Death is a man in black, and he has gone insane, slaughtering the innocent. Only X, an amnesiac who wakes up to find his wife dead beside him, can stop him. Now, X, along with a band of heroes hunting the man in black, have to embark on a terrifying journey through the cursed town of Crofton, and into a haunted house filled with secrets, to find the only thing that can stop death. From A. Kale The number one best-selling author of Bad Dreams. Coffin X, a terrifying novel of dark fantasy and horror. Now available on Amazon.
1: You are listening to the Dark Fantastic Podcast.
0: Welcome to this new extended episode of the Dark Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, A.K. My guest today is an Oscar-nominated writer, director, and visual artist. I've been a fan of his work for years, especially his film Night Owl, released in 1993, and I'm delighted to have him on the show to talk about his work, his style, making personal movies, and our love for the films of Nicholas Roeg. Please welcome... Matthew Patrick um I think it was 15 years ago uh and I had I think I uh I think I saw it on the Hallmark channel on cable that they showed movies that weren't really family movies you know the the ones they are known for I think from like 9 p.m. till like after midnight <laughs> and they were very very interesting movies uh usually they were very interesting and I came across this movie and I didn't know what it was called because I came in you know a little bit late I think I I I started watching it 15 minutes or 10 minutes into it and it was Night Owl and uh, it just it just hit me like as an art house movie it wasn't like your typical Hallmark movie (laughs) by any stretch of the of the imagination so, uh, I just you know that movie just hooked me and and I just loved the mood and 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 how you know the, the classical the whole thing was the the optical effects, the the very slow pace of the movie. And I think about five, six years later, it came out on DVD, and I got a copy, and that was a story on its own, how I hunted down a copy of your movie. Uh, because I could only find it uh, in Canada at the time. It's it's a very long story. Anyway, I found it and I got a DVD copy and I got to watch it again and again. Of course, with a, in like a pristine, uh, you know, edition, and I loved it even more. So that's how I I got into your work and I discovered that I actually had already watched *Hyder and the House* and I already I'd already watched uh, *Tainted Blood*. Uh so I already knew of your work uh, but, but, I, but I didn't know it at the time I didn't know that that same director directed you know those three movies and I actually liked uh, both movies Tainted Blood and Hyder in the House before I even got a chance to watch Night Owl so that's how I discovered your work and that's how Night Owl you know stuck with me It had that, that, you know, neo-Gothic art house quality to it that I just, I loved back then and I still love now. And I just watched it like I think two weeks ago again and I just, uh, I just love it. But that's my story. So I just don't want to take too much of your time. So uh, I just wanted to tell you how, how I actually found your movie and how I watched it.
2: I was very curious about that, and thank you very much, and I'm going to search out the DVD so I could find a better copy of it that I could post, you know, and it was a story that I was really attracted to because I liked that one of the main characters was basically only a voice, and that the power of this character, she, she couldn't touch anybody physically, but she could lure people like a siren and and putting that in a modern situation in a jazz kind of world was very appealing to me. And, um, the, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of sound work, uh, and mixing and things before. And so I had a chance to work with Gil Millay, who's like a, he's like a, uh, Blue Note masters, uh, sa- a baritone sax player, uh, played many uh, gigs, uh, records, and things all through the '60s and '50s. So I was excited to work with him, and he came up with those great that great um, music for the clubs and uh, for the club music, and uh, so I was really pleased that I could. Uh, because I'm a big jazz fan, I love jazz, and, and fortunately I was able to work with something that had that in it and uh, had some layers of sound and music and sound effects and, uh, and of course, the voice, the siren. Even though I think uh, I would change the voice now, I would make it a lot younger and more childlike sexy that way and not as authoritative so that it's it's gentle um it was just an idea i have now but i had very little time to prepare for this film and we made it in three and a half months and it so i didn't have time to dream about it and dwell about it and come up with uh what kind of layers of sound I wanted to put in so I could tell to my sound guys, cause there is a certain amount of uh, background sound that I could have used had I had more time because it really is about subjective and objective sound voice, like whether it really exists or only exists in someone's head. And so I wanted to like blend that So that um, it would go from one to the other uh, seamlessly. And so, I mean, I I was excited about that opportunity.
0: We'll get back to Night Owl in in, in a couple of minutes. But before I ask you a little bit about it, I wanted to go back to uh, your childhood more or less, because reading up on you. You, you lived in Japan and you lived in India for a few years as a child. And you now live in L.A. Uh, and you just came back from New York. And you also, uh, you say on your website that you you, you before, I think uh, you also stayed in, in, in Manhattan and Massachusetts. So you've been around and uh, you're a world traveler. traveler. So that's a lot to take in, you know, that's uh, you, you've been around. So can you talk a little bit about your journey from, you know, all, the, all this traveling and becoming uh, a filmmaker, a, ma- a mainstream, uh, you know, successful filmmaker who directed features and TV movies and who also works across different media?
2: I'd be happy to. You know, when I was in Japan and India, I didn't always know the language, especially I didn't know. I knew Japanese when I was very young, but then I lost it when I came to America. So I would return to Japan because my father was a professor every fourth year. And uh, so I learned to observe people and situations and faces and in, intonations and that was also in India, so that my eyes were trained uh, early on to like a detective to decipher things. And I realized that my eyes are my most uh, precious uh, sense. And that's where I received the most information. And clearly, you know, being in Japan affected my uh, visual uh, that had an effect on my visual aesthetic, and uh, and so I also was always interested in. First, I was very interested in animation. So, like in fourth grade, I made those flip books, you know, where you had cards and you could flip it, and there's sort of single frames. And then later in high school, I would make these super eight films that were, you know, they did really well in the school. They would let the kids out of the class to come see the films, and and then I also did these light shows. So I became very involved with a visual, pure visual, uh, abstract imagery. Which when I went to college, I made a movie called Triptych, which is like visual music. It's kind of a synesthesia. The my what I saw uh, uh, with in my head when i listened to some music and then i also created imagery abstract uh moving colorful geometric images uh, and then i attached music to that anyway that won a student academy award it brought me to hollywood the first time and then after that i made a film that took years to make called atrapados trapped i'm very proud of that film um that taught me everything and I learned everything through that film. Uh, I was the cameraman and the director and I would rewrite the script and I would edit it and the sound design so it took such a long time and that's a very surrealist film that I would like you to see sometime. I'll send you a link um, because it's a very unique kind of film. It's in Spanish. It's like Uh, I was very affected by Bergman and Fellini at the time. And um, it's its own animal. And uh, it showed at, you know, at the San Francisco in uh, the art museum there. and invited to screen at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And and that uses color and black and white. So, um, and then after that, I made this film, Graffiti, which is a half-hour film. I went to the American Film Institute as a director, and that film is the story of a man who lives in a South American dictatorship, and he draws for fun during the night, and the next day, you know, like funny drawings. The next day, the uh, junta would go and wash it all off, and so he had fun with that. Uh, And so he would draw until someone added to his drawings so that he became very drawn to that. And it turns out it's a woman. And so there's a kind of a love story where the two uh, protagonists never meet. Um, I'd love for you to see it. It was nominated for an Academy Award and uh, won many, uh, you know, San Francisco uh, Film Festival and Torino Film Festival, won all those but it has no dialogue, so again, it's purely visual. So I'm very, very attracted to uh, those kinds of themes. And then uh, I made up the Hydra in the house, which is, um, you know, I had a central character that that I that was like the monster, but you know, the studio didn't really understand that I was trying to make him kind of very sympathetic that it was a he was like a abused child that never grew up he was looking for love in his life and um unfortunately i didn't get to do the ending i wanted where he redeems himself and saves the family and i was told to make a like an ending that's a big smash bang you know he out of control monster kind of thing so uh it all worked, but I think that it would have been a much more upbeat picture if he was able to um, avoid repeating the abuse that he that he uh, had in his life uh, with this family. And then from there, I made um, Tainted Blood movie, which was challenging because uh, it, I had to do it very quickly while Hyder in the house. We had a lot of money at the time. uh um Mimi Rogers was married to Tom Cruise, so it ha- had a lot of um, visibility. Now unfortunately, the company that owned the picture was going to distribute it to 1,200 theaters and then they went broke and uh, it was terrible. And they were they didn't, and Tom Cruise, wanted to buy the picture and release it, but they wouldn't do it. It's unbelievable. It really hurt me. and um, But then I moved on to Tainted Blood and uh, then Night Owl. So unfortunately, I was sick for a while. That knocked me out of the film industry. But um, at least the films that I did make, I'm proud of. And uh, I'm really glad that you had a chance to see those three films.
0: But Going back a little bit to Hyder and the House, because that's a very, actually very stylish movie and it's somewhat more complex than than the usual, you know, more or less big budget movie because Gary Busey, at the time, I think I've always been a fan of his, you know, before all the, you know, the the, the strangeness and, you know, the problem with, with the, the PR problems and whatever, uh, but he's he's always been a very good actor and he's great in the film. And uh, Mimi Rogers, of course, always, you know, always delivers. I've always, I've always been a fan as well. So how was it like, aside from the things you already mentioned, which had to do with the, with the distribution?
2: Heider in the House, it was very cool that Gary Busey was just coming off his Academy Award nomination for... I guess, uh, Buddy Holly's story, and I was excited to work with him. And uh, my whole approach and I was writing and rewriting and rewriting, and I worked with four different writers to get it into shape from being a slasher picture into a movie that was much more psychologically real and honest, and I even uh, hired a therapist to study the script to make sure that it was realistic and I even sent Gary Busey who was terrified to go see the therapist to talk to him and uh, it was really funny that finally he went and uh, he came back and he says an NAR film and I said well what's that and he said it's a no acting required film that's me he said (coughs) excuse me and so he had grown up a certain amount of abuse too and I think he really, really delivered. I got along well with him. We had more money for that picture um, compared to the TV movies. But I I think that the, you know, all the training I had from making Atrapadas Trapped came into, uh, you know, I spent a million hours on that film. It took five years to make that film. And uh, but I learned everything. And. Over the, you know, in that film, it took a long time to shoot in Atrapados because the actor, Julio Torres, who also wrote the script, he weighed 200 pounds at the beginning of the movie. And then he's sort of starving over the course of the movie. And at the end of the picture, he was 120 pounds and it was real. So there's some very interesting things about that movie. There is definitely nothing you've seen like it. And uh, I may post a new version of it, which I'll send you a link that has better picture quality. Um, But um, Hyder in the House ended up getting a lot of great reviews overseas and even in the States. But like I said, it didn't get the distribution that uh, I think it deserved um you know i i ended up using drawings for example to express the inside of his mind and also in the first sequence it really tells the tragedy of his upbringing uh through those drawings and um, that was the last scene that i created after we finished editing the movie it needed that kind of backstory so I created this montage that, create, that showed his abuse and that created a certain amount of sympathy for him because I really want, and I minimized the violence and I minimized the blood. Like, what, that's what I like to do anyway. There's, I don't really believe in explicit blood. Um, you don't need it. Um, and keep it really with the characters, so, yeah, I wanted him to be a psychologically complex person who had a lot of personal needs and um he wanted and needed love in his life and um the ending I wanted he he ends up saving the family and then dies in the process, but it showed his love and that he was able to break his um cycle of violence. And, you know, that was a much more uplifting picture, but I, I didn't have any control over it. I mean, uh, it's very difficult when you have uh, financial people, producers and things who get things in their mind, and they don't really understand the movie, and, and you're forced to do forced to do things, but I do appreciate that they trusted me enough to be able to give me all that money to do it. And um, gosh, it was great. We were able to fly over to Munich and have a 70 piece orchestra and a 40 person uh, boys choir, like, you know, 300, 500 year boys choir. So we had a lot of uh, great people working on it
0: you seem to be really interested in in the psychology of the characters and uh, the obsessions of the characters, which is like something, a through line in all, all your work. So do you agree with that?
2: You know, I, I really appreciate you saying that because that is definitely my intention. And and because I'm much more interested in the... If you know the people, it makes the story much more engaging and... and uh, because everybody's psychologically complex and I don't like black and white characters, unless you're making that kind of film, you know, which, um, which I don't have anything against. There are a lot of great black and white character movies, but I prefer actually to watch much more psychologically complex movies personally. So I appreciate you saying there's a minimalist kind of quality to it a certain understated quality, and a certain rhythm to it, because that's certainly, that's certainly my style. That's the way my brain works. That's how I visualize the scenes. Uh, it's interesting I mean, uh, th- what they're doing now, because I watch certain movies, and I count how long each shot. I count how many seconds each shot is before there's another cut. And uh, it's become so rapid that uh, but but it works i mean but it doesn't always create the depth that that a really good movie can can deliver um with the characters where i don't think you need to cut 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 and you know it's um, it's just sort of is my way so like i said i Appreciate your observation that there's a minimalist quality to it. You know, I want to stick to it, to the themes and try to also create thema- visually thematic elements in terms of uniting the colors and making color decisions before we start the movie. Going back to
0: to Night Owl, which, uh, which follows Tainted Blood, I, I think, uh, which you made after Tainted Blood. Yes. So it it also has the same qualities uh, you were talking about. It has, it's, it's, the story is almost, the plot is very, very simple. Uh, the plot of Night Owl, it's almost, you know, there is almost no, no plot and the characters are just, there are just a few characters. And, uh, but it has, as I mentioned before, this art house quality and it uses uh, a lot of, long lenses even in wide shots and a lot of long takes which are things that you almost never see in a, in a made-for-TV movie so how did you get involved with that project and how did you manage to apply that arthouse minimalist feature film quality to such a uh, I guess, a modestly budgeted movie made for television?
2: Well, I I inherited the project and I had very little time to make it. I had three and a half months. I got a green light and then I had to rewrite it in two weeks and start casting. And um, we had a month of preparation, then a month of shooting and then a month of post-production so I didn't have the usual time to like mull over it and let it get into my subconscious uh I just did I just used my subconscious as much during the making of the picture and um it so um you know I wished that I had uh created uh more layers of sound and because it is about an, the characters having objective sound and then having it turn into subjective voices and sound, and I would have loved to layer it up. Um, so the movie has a certain color scheme. Uh, I w- only was able to cast the main characters of, you know, jennifer beals and james wilder like less than a week before we started shooting and uh it's funny but you know that band i really like the way the, the the club scenes came out but we only had one day of rehearsals unbelievable and uh so the guys who were all not musicians were able to pull it together and and look real authentic and and you know, um, that could look really bad. So so we got it to work. And um, I really enjoyed shooting those club scenes. It had a certain style and feeling to it. And and uh, yeah, a lot of it is about which lenses you decide to use. Sometimes I'm a big wide lens guy, but that's more in my photography. I'm doing a lot of photography now. And,
0: yeah, uh, I'd love to. See. I've already uh, seen some of your pictures on your website, and uh, before I just jump to that, because I want to ask you about that, I just have one final question about Night Owl.
2: Please,
0: because I because as you mentioned, uh, the cast uh, the cast of, of the movie is great, and I especially uh, really like the performances of uh, of uh, of the women in the movie. Jennifer Beals uh, and uh, Jackie Burrs, I think, uh, yes. a Canadian actress, I think. I love the, the, the scenes uh, with them together, especially, you know, the scene when where Jennifer just um, explains that this whole experience with, with, with the siren being the night owl reminds her of a traumatic experience when, when she was a child and... It's the first time in the whole movie that she actually lets go and and shows you know the the the, the emotional side of her and and Jackie Boris has just has always been great uh, and she she plays almost like a, an almost van Helsing like character you know she knows yeah. the, the advert. the she knows the enemy and she has so I love the 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 you know the the, the scenes uh, with them together and throughout the movie. So can you talk just a little bit about working with, uh, with these two uh, actresses?
2: Well, Jackie Burroughs in Canada, especially, is a very famous actress and uh, very well respected. And I feel, you know, honored that I had a chance to work with her. And that scene that you're talking about was we shot it like on the second or third day. That's how it got scheduled. So I think that there was a certain anxiety that Jennifer had. You know, we got a whole movie in front of us, and I think the uh, assistant director, terrific guy, um, put that up front when before she got comfortable, and that was a really good choice. Now we would we took that whole scene in one in in a single shot so that uh, we didn't have to cover it in any way. There was no cuts in it so that we could keep the motion with them. And um, I think it feels very authentic. And I uh, th- that was a very... Uh, uh, I'm glad it came out as well as it did because it could also look very false. And I really enjoy working with female actresses, like in... Tainted blood they're like five lead women, and they're all really good and I essentially castrate the males, which are the husbands and I kept men out of the picture basically and so like I s- said, I think I really understand or enjoy the psychology of working with of women um, I think they're more psychologically complex and um, I've always gotten along well with women and been very fortunate in my relationships. So getting into their minds is, is intriguing to me. And if, if I were making more films, I'd love women to be the center of the picture. And, um, Jennifer, you know, I mean, I just watched pieces of the film just now and I love her understated performance. And uh, it was um, it was difficult to get because we saw she and I saw things differently to a certain degree, so there was a little push and pull, and um, but in the end, I think it came out really well. You know the fact that we didn't have any computers that we had to do all the effects in the camera, which is tricky as hell, and. Um, I have one shot of the night owl walking down an alley and 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 then there's a shot of her, and she's naked. And I really love that you could pretty much see her completely naked in front. You could see her breasts and you could sort of see down below. And I wanted to slip that through. you know what I mean? Originally, I had it even more obvious. And the producer caught it and said, wait a minute, we can't do this. I thought it'd be really funny to do, you know, and, and uh, I, I feel kind of, you know, you slip things in here and there that just you think is kind of cool for fun.
0: Did it show first on, on, on a major network or was it shown first? In, because I, I couldn't find the information about uh, where it actually pre- premiered uh, on television.
2: Well, Night Owl was a um, it was a uh, project for uh, the, what is it? The Women's Channel, the uh, Lifetime. It, lifetime it was a Lifetime movie originally, and uh, and then Tainted Blood was for USA Channel, but now they're getting distribution elsewhere. So yeah, it was a Lifetime movie. Yeah,
0: it's uh they are doing riskier stuff now. They are doing the V.C. Andrews books, you know, Flowers in the Attic and stuff, which, which you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit uh, controversial. But back then, when, when Night Out was made, I guess there was nothing like it at all on Lifetime.
2: I think you're right and that's what really drew me to the material is that of the main character one of the main characters was a voice that had no physical presence and um the script was too long originally so I had to cut out about and needed to be rewritten to a big degree so I had to cut out about 20 pages and um kept rewriting while we were casting and all that kind of process. So, yeah, I I didn't even watch any uh, Lifetime movies at the time. So that's kind of good. But I just sort of did what I do without uh, researching. And it kind of let me do what I did, pretty much um, what I do. And, you know, I just rewatched some of it. I think it's a really good-looking movie. And it's got a good flow. And the camera work is good. I mean... And Club scenes and there's a scene where there's a huge group of dancers and stilts and all the kinds of huge crowd scene separating uh, Jennifer Beals from James Wilder. That came about when someone told me about that when I was in Toronto where we shot it. Someone said, oh, there's this festival kind of thing, and it does this. And I said, hey, let's put it in. And we did, and it was so cool. So, you know, the thing grows while we're preparing it, you know. And like in Hyder in the House, we were shooting, and we still didn't have the ending because I kept fighting for the uh, redemption ending. And and, uh, so, you know, it's a process. It's a struggle. There's no time for any personal life, but... Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't study Lifetime. I'm glad. I mean, Lifetime has to become more controversial because there are so many other outlets now. Is my thinking, but I hear their budgets are much smaller.
0: I just wanna uh, ask you about, you know, something you mentioned about the the, the redemption ending of Hyder in the house. Did you actually shoot that, or you never got to shoot it?
2: I never got to shoot it. Uh, yeah we wrote a whole thing where there's a character from the mental Institute who follows Gary Busey to the house and threatens the family. And in the end, the character Gary Busey saves the family from this guy and dies in the process. So he doesn't repeat the uh, cycle of violence like the way it is now. And um, he so i had no chance you know uh, when we're shooting you 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 do things so carefully cuz there's just never enough time so that you pretty much use every shot especially in the tv movies like in tainted blood i realized i used every single shot except one you know and and after you shoot a picture i sit down and write down how I, I see it edited because I remember all the shots because it took so much work. So I wished I had a chance to shoot that other ending, God. And I met the uh, producer on the picture, um, Steve Ruther, like at the Academy Awards, because I've been to the Academy Awards a bunch of times because I'm a member. Um, and I said, oh yeah. And he said, uh, "You're right. We should have done the other ending." <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> and uh, so I like to think that the pictures are sort of timeless, except the hair and the clothes. You
0: know. Yeah, yeah. The same goes for your TV movies as well, because I, as I mentioned, I recently rewatched Tainted Blood um, on YouTube. And uh, again, it has the, the same visual, you know, style and it's polished. And the way you you deal with the characters is, uh, it's a bit, I don't like the word edgy, but it's a bit more complex, you know, than, than usual with TV movies, which is again something, a signature of, of all your films. Uh, I, again, I've been a fan of your work for more than a decade. So getting to ask these questions It's just, uh, you know, amazing to me because I'm really into uh, film history as well. And I always try to, on on my website and on my podcast, I always try to highlight, you know, projects, uh, mostly movies, but also books and music that uh, I think aren't appreciated enough. And now that almost any you can find any movie online now or you can buy a copy on dvd because you know they they put everything out now so i'm really glad that i'm able to talk about your work and night owl now because it's available online and it's available as a dvd so people listening to this hopefully will rediscover it and will rediscover some of your work and uh, and i'm really enjoying it as well uh, talking to you and um i want to talk about what you what you're working on now and your your photography because you mentioned that you you don't do movies anymore uh and before we get to the to the to the still photography why why don't you make more movies aren't aren't you interested in making uh movies anymore even short movies you know because it's now it's easy it's, it's it's easier than ever to actually make movies at least you know short short movies and uh, i'm sure you have the uh, the the equipment and the technology so are you interested in making more movies you know
2: yes i've written several scripts and rewritten and rewritten them and for all for feature projects and I own this property in Joshua Tree. I bought it more than 20 years ago, all rocks and beautiful nature and things. So I wrote a script called, uh, called Stranded, which is, uh, again, uh, both a thriller and a psychological character piece that um, all takes place 95% on my property. And I wrote the script for existing structures. So, like, there's a house and then there's an unusual other area, and which is almost, a, there's like a Russian genre a long time ago where you basically write a script around what you have. So I have this script and it could be done for, I don't know. I mean, um, I talked to one producer who's, very good. And he says $6 million, but I'm thinking, gosh, maybe we could do it for much less. And uh, so my interest in movies is as passionate well, not as passionate. Um, It's as passionate as ever, but I just don't have the representation I once had at William Morris. And I don't have access to the money like I used to. And I'm not really a producer. I'm like the creative person, so I've got to find partnerships that, with people who, who believe in uh, the work. So I mean, I spent a lot of time on this stranded picture and uh, the script, and I think it's gotten pretty good. And and uh, you know, it has to do with the lead character is a twenty year, twenty eight year old therapist. So there's a whole psychological component who goes on a trip, a vacation out to the desert with these three very, very wealthy people and uh, her age. And they get kidnapped essentially and terrorized and things. In the beginning, actually, they lose the car keys, they can't escape, the internet goes down, they're getting terrorized by people. And then we find out that one of the people one of the rich people had hired these people to terrorize everybody is a big joke. So we put a twist in there at the end of the first act. And But then the rich people and the poor people who are the desert people sit down to have dinner together. And then there's a true conflict between the rich and the poor. So there's a whole kind of class issue within this picture and uh for the first time in their lives these rich people can't buy their way out so um that's what i'd like to do but at the same time i'm doing this photography to satisfy my creative urges so i'm not really completely out at all i just have to figure out how to get back in and uh, that's difficult uh, especially once you grow a little older Uh, so no, I'm not out of the movies. I'm just struggling to get one made. It's been so, it's very hard to get any movie made. And I really respect any movie that gets made, even if it's a crappy movie. It's just so hard to do. So I respect all filmmakers. And, uh, you know, it's actually very funny that I was going to do this film for Miramax. And uh, of all the movies, I mean, I pitched them. What the hell, right? And I yeah. got, I got, um, I, got to dire- I was going to direct a Halloween movie, which is like so against my style, right? Because it's so explicit. But I was going to make it my style again with a deep psychological kind of qualities within the characters. And uh, unfortunately, two weeks before shooting, we got shut down because it turned out that the Miramax, Bob Weinstein, uh, they didn't have the rights so that got shut down and it, a couple of years later it got done with some other people but you know it's, it's funny you know that uh, i probably would have been a terrible failure because i wouldn't have made it all bloody so maybe it was for the better
0: the i haven't seen the new uh you know halloween movies i've always been a fan of john carpenters and uh... And some of the sequels are interesting and they have, you, you know, with, with the remakes, with the Halloween sequels and remakes, there have been like more than 10 Halloweens now mm-hmm. and they go in different directions. And, uh, some of them are, you know, more low key than others. So it would have been just fascinating to see your, your take on it.
2: Yes. Wouldn't have been, it would have been great to just see another way to do it because, uh, Usually I get really good reviews and, but this, I don't know. I mean, I, I again made a character oriented and like, you know, the kid uh, in the beginning, who's the brother of uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in the first movie I made it. So he became completely afraid that the monster is coming back. So I had him like, set up in a metal shipping container in a factory where there's cameras all around so he's like basically in a safe house he's in a escape room you know so it was all about his inability to leave that but he has to in order to save the girl he likes you know and so I think that would have been very interesting, you know. Uh, then it, it, again, it's about psychology of overcoming this fear of tra- and trauma. It just seems like all my films, uh, or at least a couple of them, are about people who've been abused early in their lives and then how they overcome it. It's kind of an interesting theme. It would have, so it would have showed up there. Um, yeah, because you know. Talking about
0: your style and how you would have approached Halloween, if you go back to back the to very first Halloween, the best one, the the, the John Carpenter one, it I was didn't actually like that very, very much. Yeah, that was basically an art house movie. There, the, the, there was very little blood in that movie, so so it's not that f- far off that your take would 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 have been, uh, you know, it would have maybe just circled back to the original style of oh, the very you. first one. Yeah, maybe.
2: Yeah, because I didn't even watch the other Halloween's research, which I, because I wanted to start fresh. And, uh, and strangely, I don't watch a lot of movies. Uh, I'm a member of the Academy, so I judge like certain films, like uh, the foreign films and the short films. I think there's a lot of really short dramatic films that are just unbelievably great and i just really hope that someday there's going to be a streaming channel that just has short films because there's a certain brilliance in them that nobody gets to see but uh yeah it would have been totally different perhaps i don't know i mean afterwards i watched the rob zombie one and it's just like there's no character there's just a lot of blood and there's some gratuitous sex and it was so simple-minded you know that um i I couldn't really watch it um
0: you know yeah yeah it's just you know with 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 the you already mentioned how movies many movies or most mainstream movies are made now with the the super fast cuts and you know it's all aimed at teenagers basically because they are the ones who are buying the tickets and and just it's it's all tent poles now and of course there are great movies being made uh most of them you know are are released on on vod or netflix or whatever they are being made but the mainstream ones and i consider halloween to be you know the, the halloween movies to be mainstream they are just they are just you know i think they they think the audience isn't interested in in uh in low-key movies, or or minimalist filmmaking, or, or what Paul Schrader calls transcendental filmmaking, you know, to some extent. So I do, I think they they think that people aren't interested in that anymore, and they might be right. I don't know because these big movies with the super fast cutting and uh, the the CGI they make lots of money. So it's know, like
2: that stuff. Yeah. You know, in the in, if I did the Halloween, I would have had the characters, but then I would have had to create, and I would have enjoyed creating some really interesting, horrific, uh, not bloody, but, like, scary as hell stuff. It would have been fun to do, you know, with chase scenes. And, you know, I got a good imagination, actually, for horror. If I wanted to, I could just draw upon it so easily that... Uh, It would have been fun, you know, if I could, I could have looked at it that way, psychologically, but at the same time, like you say, make it a modern picture. You know, I I just flew back from New York yesterday and I was watching uh, the new Spider-Man and I was like, wow, every four, six seconds, there's a cut. It's just unbelievable. Very well done, but I got so bored. And um, by the middle of the picture, I just turned it off. I was impressed before with the with the technology and the use of the camera but I don't know It just is stupid after a while Um, at least I feel that way
0: no I agree uh, with you I you know as uh, I have nothing against you know mainstream cinema and I love movies because if you love movies you love all movies but uh, you know and I, I read I read comic books and I used to read them as a kid and I still read them now but it's not really what you're saying. I I agree with what you're saying because it's not that it's not really the the, the genre that's bad or uh, you know or or the idea of comic book movies in itself. It's just the approach, whether it's Halloween or Spider Man or the or the uh, the Marvel stuff. And I haven't seen the new Batman movie, but the, the the Francis Ford Coppola just just you know just had an interview and he kept talking about these movies including Dune and the I can't remember the name of the last James Bond movie and he says all these movies are just very well-made movies like like you just said and the filmmakers are working you know at the top of their level but if you watch them back to back they all feel the same in some way or another so, uh, and, and uh, yeah, and, and speaking of Coppola, I just remembered something uh, related to what you're saying because Coppola also writes and makes movies, you know, in, in uh, where he lives, actually, because he also has this vineyard. Of course, I know you know about that. And he makes movies there. He writes movies. And the last couple of movies he made, you know, in the last 20 years, he actually, I think a lot of them, and even one of them called Twixt uh, starring Val Kilmer—it's a horror movie, psychological horror movie. He wow. shot it in his vineyard, and it was made, I think, with very uh, you know affordable high-def cameras. And that was like 15 years ago. The cameras weren't that great back then, but it's a very interesting movie, and it has some very interesting things. So even Coppola, you know, does that. So what you're saying, the, the way you want to approach Stranded, is, uh, isn't is that you know so weird, uh, as maybe others would think? It, it, it's, it has been done, you know, Coppola has done it, and I'm sure others have done it as well.
2: Yes, maybe I could do this movie for a million dollars, you know, because it's all there, it's all on the property. Maybe I could, like, use all unknown actors, because you really don't need it, so you could pay them scale and um put all the money into the production but like you say the cameras and the equipment are so good now and so inexpensive and now for example you don't need to lead, put down dolly track you could just use these uh gimbal you know electric gimbals now to hold the camera and it's like a steady cam and uh it's just unbelievable what you could do now it's whew. i mean the short films that i made i mean they're technically very good and um yeah it's kind of a freeing kind of time so maybe i should be more optimistic and somehow reach out more but you're absolutely right that you know if coppola's doing that on his vineyard i could do it on my property uh, yeah maybe, <laughs> that's what maybe i'm maybe saying some, yeah yeah i gotta <laughs> do it i gotta do it you're right
0: yeah, yeah because because you know the missing ingredient In movies now is basically vision it's basically vision and a willingness a willingness not to compromise the personal aspect or the personal aspects of the story because that's what Coppola you know talked about and that's what you you also talked about when you mentioned like blockbusters and the new Spider-Man movie they aren't personal anymore you know the movies they are very well crafted, and these filmmakers are very talented, but there is no personal touch. And your work—that's uh, what always appealed to me about the the, the the movies that you made. And talking to you now, I understand. Uh, I understand more about why those movies work. Is is the personal touch? Is the is the uh, actually the the obsessions of the filmmaker? And what they bring to it, you know, technically, aesthetically, philosophically. Now movies are either, uh, you know, made for kids, which which isn't a bad thing in itself. If, but not all movies should be made for kids. Or either movies are just very, you know, overtly politicized. Because that's now the, the you know, the trendy thing. Because either you you make movies so political or you make them for kids or whatever but, but they aren't personal because if, if if it's personal to you like even the movies you made like for 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 tv for example even if they are not written by you they are they also have your touch for example you, you know that your, your interest in psychology and obsessions and uh of course you're your your trademarks, uh, your technical trademarks, using certain lenses and and so on, and which makes sense now since I know now that you also you you love uh, still photography, so that's what's missing in movies. Uh, so I I think a filmmaker like you, if if you made movies now using the technology that's available now, with your you know personal vision, which has nothing to do with with uh, with aiming movies at kids or with trying to be preachy that's that's what i mean by politics is basically trying to be preachy whether regardless of your politics because I, I hate politics and I, I never really get into it but i guess the personal aspect is missing and that's what's and that's what makes your movies so so stylish and enjoyable
2: well thank you thank you because that's certainly my intention is to tell a, an intimate story that uh it has to have a feeling to it and the whole movie has to have not just the style, but the voice and the character that's individual, you know? And when you said all those Marvel movies are the same, it's so true. You could watch one after the other, and, and it's, a, it's just a wreck, really. So those Marvel movies are really not made by the director anymore, I don't really think so. They're made by the effects team and the um, stunt coordinators. The All the director pretty much does is okays the storyboards because it's all pretty much action and work with the actors who are all very limited because the storyline in order to accommodate the, you know, the storyline is all about nothing personal that much. Um, so, yeah, you see these famous directors now who made interesting independent pictures that have great feeling to it. And the studios hire them because I think it's prestigious. And then the movies still look the same. And everything that made the, the movie that the director uh, the made the independent film or whatever, it's all washed away. And um, yeah i mean it's so true what you're saying i mean i saw like uh made sure to go see uh one of the fast and furious movies in a theater and it was so well done the characters are so stupid and the lines are so stupid but it was so it batters you you know it just smashes you so by the climax i fell asleep i was so tired really really (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) a lot of people (laughs) won't like that yeah but i agree with you 100% that the marvel movies put me to sleep as well i don't watch them anymore to be honest uh you know i'm i'm i don't watch them and the dc movies aren't better the blockbusters all of them now even dune you know i'm a big fan of, of the book and uh even the the new dune movie is just amazing to to look at but there is something off, you know, with, with with the soul of the movie. There is uh-huh. no, you know, it's not it's not sentiment or even heart. They're just there is no warmth to you. You can't really. You, there is no personality, you know. The personality of the filmmaker isn't really there, other than the technique, because the the that director. It's just he, you know you can you can tell that he loves the the big canvas and the visuals like Ridley Scott because he's a huge fan of Ridley Scott mm. and it's just they look amazing you know they the they the, 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 they used to call them shooters you know they used to call the, the, this type of right direction. right but they are all shooters now you know <laughs> they are, they're is true yeah there are very few filmmakers I I I basically I, I just watch Paul Schrader movies because he's the only filmmaker. You know, of that mentality, you know, the transcendental filmmaking, and who actually loves filmmaking and who tells very personal stories. He's the only filmmaker working now of that generation or of that you know temperament who's still making movies now you know he's still trying to get funding and trying to get stores and even though i didn't like the last movie he made i don't know if you watched it i don't know even if you are a fan of of paul schrader
2: i like paul schrader he there's a certain roughness to it and he really knows how to create character and uh i just recently watched uh you know taxi driver again how can you go wrong with that uh so yeah, he's a he's a great filmmaker and he's done a lot of different kinds of things. And uh, yeah, and he took some he takes chances, you know, well, you know, but um, I know uh, what's his, his name, Chris Nolan, my daughter, his friends uh, grew up together at school with with the Nolans. And uh, anyway, his Batman movies were good. You know what I mean? They were yeah, that's true. Yeah, they were great. Here's a tentpole movie that actually had really interesting damaged characters. You know, and uh, there is quite compelling, really. So we could use more of that. You know, exactly. Uh, Yeah, and
0: more intimate projects. You know, like because Christopher Nolan also is a writer director, which is I think is also part of the of the secret. Of why his movies are so m- many of his movies are so great
2: i agree with completely and he's a complete genius the fact that he could make one movie after another and write the scripts i don't know i just just blown away by him you know it's just at a whole nother level and uh i think he sees in black and white I think his vision is black and white, which is kind of interesting. He hires a good production designer to create the colors, but maybe that affects his thinking because he's not cluttered with the idea of color. Uh, it's, I should look into whether he only sees in black and white. But he's, he's one of the few big filmmakers, the tentpole filmmakers, that you say, that have any kind of personality or... You know, there's there's something more going on. You know, I mean, uh, these Marvel movies. I mean, uh, nothing against them, but man, they bore me. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you're not alone. Yeah, they are, they bore a lot of. I think if you are outside the age bracket, you know, you're either an aging comic book fan, uh, so you you just wanna. You know, support the 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 team. Basically, take one for the team. If you are an older viewer, or if you are a younger viewer, you just you know they look like video games. So because I have yeah, because I have nephews who are who are teenagers, and they tell me you know they they they're just these movies are just amazing. They are they they feel like video games, and they and they are saying it you know in a in a way that to them that's that's a good thing. They are not saying it as a criticism. So. So that's, that's basically it. You are either, if you don't like the Marvel, the Marvel movies, you are either outside the age bracket or you love movies. Because if you love movies, really love movies and love filmmaking, you, you, you can't really find anything to enjoy unless you watch them, you know, in, in small doses, you know, maybe.
2: These Marvel films, I don't think they even need to have a movie star in there. They buy everybody up because they could afford them, but they don't really use them. They're kind of like cardboard and, um, yeah, real movie stars. Yeah. It's- it's a different time. Do you ever watch the Criterion channel on streaming that? Uh...
0: Yeah, no, I, I everybody's telling me about it, but I, I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't subscribed to it because I have so many movies, you know, backed up. Basically, I just have mm-hmm. the, the, the to watch list is just backed up. I, have, I still have DVDs that I haven't watched because I always discover new movies and i'm always you know interested in and in reading uh, about film history and uh, you know interviewing different people and, uh, and and the people i interview you know they they turn me on onto different things that i that i don't know about i'm always discovering new things so i just can't subscribe to to another you know sur- streaming service because mm-hmm. i still i have the, the criterion dvds i i have some of those oh, wow, but, yeah yeah, I have like the Hitchcock ones, and uh, I'm also a huge fan of uh, the Archers, You know, who directed the Red Shoes and Black Narcissus? Oh my and,
2: God, the Red Shoes! Talk about yeah. that's a I don't know that transcends movies or something. I don't know, kind of epic. yeah.
0: And Nicholas Rogue, of course. I know you. You. You like uh, you. 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 Oh you love his work. Yeah.
2: I'm so happy I had a chance to meet him and and be able to take down his stuff. And I would watch his films like I don't religiously like, you know, don't look now and and walk about and performance. And I would watch him religiously every year because, I mean, his mind is so interesting and he casts a, Against character, and of course, nobody can beat him in terms of how he uses the camera. A man who fell to earth, and I'm so glad you got a chance to meet him, and I met him too briefly, but I'm um, sure you got a chance to get a lot of answers from his question. You know, he's 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 one of the real great guys.
0: Yeah, uh, actually, uh, I got a chance to uh, to work with him uh, for like uh, I think a month. Uh, I got to, 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 you know, to work with him as his assistant, him and his wife, wow. uh, they were traveling and, uh, and I got a chance to, to, to work with them, uh, during uh, certain film festivals. And back then, uh, that was, I guess, like, I, that was, I think, 2007, I guess I was just uh, out of college back then and mm-hmm. and I just had this opportunity to, uh, you know, just, you know, these things just fall into place. You know, I, I had no real experience, very little experience, but I had done a movie, I had done a feature film and uh, and uh, I was working with an NGO at the time and uh, he was, he, the, the NGO was actually helping him, you know, do these film festivals um as a you know as a he, he as a judge basically um so i got to work with him and uh, i was so struck when i met him because i was only i can't remember i was very young and and uh, and i met him and and he, he he has a very dry sense of humor he had mm-hmm. i mean a very dry sense of humor and he is he's very moody you know he can mm. snap at you suddenly uh, because mm. uh, uh not in a, not in a way that would upset you or on on an offen- offensive way or anything he was a lovely guy but he was moody and um, and um, and if you don't really understand him you would say that that he's a you know kind of of, of on the chilly side but he isn't mm. he's just he has a very dry sense of humor and and uh, he doesn't like to he's not very effusive you know uh, he, he, he didn't really like to to talk a lot unless he got to know you and I got to know him fairly well and his lovely wife uh, I, I tried to stay in touch with her to this day uh, Harriet they are lovely they were lovely people and I got to ask him a few questions uh, like you said and he basically, uh, because there was this myth that he that uh, he was offered to the direct uh, James Bond movie, hmm. and he declined the offer. So I asked him about that, and he just went into this very funny story about what he would have done with it, and it hmm. was hilarious. You know, it just it was, it was just amazing, and uh, and he was so generous you know later on he actually I got to he I got to consult with him on one of my feature films that I I never made I sent him the script and he was actually having health problems at the time and he actually got back to me and he gave me some feedback and he watched my I I, I, because I only I only wrote and directed one feature film and he uh, watched it and he said he liked it very much so he was just so generous, and uh, and uh, and his wife also, you know, he was. She was basically, he was basically, he he wasn't very effusive, and his wife just, you know, complimented his personality because she was mm-hmm. so lovely and so warm, and they just they were such a great match, and uh, it was just a magical time being with him, you know, that, 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 that for for those few weeks. And I stayed in touch with him for years, you know, uh, him and his wife. So he's just, I guess he's different. I know you met him briefly, but I guess he's different than, than what people would think he is because he has a reputation as someone who's a bit, um, as I said, you know, a bit off-putting. You know, he's not, he's not approachable. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people who... You know, worked with him briefly or who, or who didn't know him very well they say he isn't very approachable but he isn't but not in in you know in a in an elitist way or anything he's just is uh kind of an eccentric guy uh very you know very intellectual of course you can guess that from his movies um the, just just a lovely 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 experience i i, I cherish it and uh and I always tell uh, uh, his wife, his widow, Harriet, I always tell her that, especially when he died a couple of years ago, I, I, I you know, got in touch with her and I just told her how much I enjoyed my time with him, however brief it was. Personally, it was brief. It was only a few weeks, a month maybe. Later on, and we talked on the phone. I talked on the phone with him and uh, I told her how much I enjoyed that time. And she said, you know, After he died, like there was a flood of of phone calls and emails saying how much uh, a lot of people who interacted with him found him to be a very warm guy, actually. A very generous Mm -hmm. man, which which is different than how he basically maybe presented himself. I don't know how people saw him, maybe. But, uh, yeah.
2: He was warm to me, but I only had one meal with him. But I think that what you're saying is very interesting, very intellectual guy, and it shows in his films they're not at all um, there's no uh, what do you say it's an intellectual approach what is the word? there's no uh, he doesn't make it sappy he's it's always down to earth it's always there's nothing about it that's affected. There's not. It's just so realistic that he makes. I, I
0: guess you, I. I think you're saying he isn't pretentious. Basically, his work isn't pretentious. Not
2: no, at maybe. all. Yeah. And, and also, it's not. Uh, it's not soft. It's really. It, it doesn't play to the audience at all. He just does what's the right thing, and. Uh, that's interesting yeah. how you explain it. You know, because his films are very. You could identify with the characters, but it's not warm.
0: The thing I remember, the, you know, that also has to do with what you've been saying about working in, in movies in Hollywood. The funny thing is, is that he didn't say that to me, uh, but I knew it, you know, from from reading later about him and from speaking with people who actually got to meet him later on when I when I wasn't really in contact with him anymore. He was really struggling with financing his movies, you know, uh, really, really struggling with uh, he made the I think his last movie was called Puffball. He made it, I think, in 2006. And after that, uh, I worked with a with a with a couple of independent filmmakers from from England. One of them was called uh, Martin Pickles. He was an animator and he made short movies and he, he had met uh, Nicholas Rogue, I think uh, somewhere in, in a, in, I think in a festival in, in, in France or something I can't remember. And he met Nicholas Rogue and, uh, and he, he knew him I think from from the same festival I, uh, f- from the same festival I worked with, with, uh, with Nicholas on. And when he met Nicholas later on, a couple of years later, he uh, he said hi, Nicholas, and what are you what were you working on, and so on, and and he and he told Nicholas that uh, I am here in this festival, you know, trying to push my short movie and looking for financing. And Nicholas said to him, you know, we'll probably uh, be uh, talking to the same people looking for uh, for money. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, so it was just he, uh, Morton was just blown away because Morton was just starting up as a young filmmaker and he had only directed a couple of shorts, but he was amazed. You know, he to, he to, he told me he was amazed that the great Nicholas Rogue, you know, the the man they talk about in in uh, in, in you know in, 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 in books about movie making and film history, is actually struggling to find financing for his yeah. next project. So. Just, that just tells you everything, I think, about movies, about making movies. I mean,
2: it's so true. It's, I mean, I was at the Directors Guild and there was this guy, what, Christopher Columbus? He made the first. Uh, he made Home Alone, was, I think. Harry yeah. Potter movie and stuff. And he was saying yeah. he was trying to get money. He was trying to get a film made. He couldn't get anything made. So you get a really commercial film maker like that. And he's having the same a hard time. And a lot of there's a lot of ageism, you know, a lot of uh, people don't want to work with people over a certain age, they want the new latest hot thing. So probably your friend who's a young, young filmmaker with a couple shorts may have even had a better chance than Nicholas Rogue. Right? <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe. Yeah. And thank you very much for being so generous with, with your time and uh, for answering all my questions about your work and especially about Night Owl. And I look forward to watching uh, Trapped and uh, watching the, your short films as well.
2: Uh, Ahmed, thank you so much, so much. And, um, I enjoyed this conversation with you so much because you have a great knowledge of film and history of cinema and have a lot of insight as to what's going on now and what's going on then and back then. And uh, thank you, it was so enjoyable, my gosh. You know, I'm really talking to someone who knows film. Such a pleasure.
1: Look, I don't know what you're doing here. What I'm doing is is I live here now. I live here with Julie. I think you should go.
2: He's up there, planning,
0: watching, waiting. (laughs) Vestron Pictures presents Gary Busey, Mimi Rogers,
2: Hyder in the house.
0: I'd like to end this episode with the poem Siren's Song by William Brown. This version of the poem is read by Capricia Page and is available for download from the LibriVox website. Thanks for listening and please join me again on the Dark Fantastic Podcast.
1: Steer. Hither steer your winged pines, all beaten mariners. Here lies love's undiscovered mines, a prey to passengers. Perfumes far sweeter than the best which makes the phoenix urn and nest. Fear not for your ships, nor any to oppose you save our lips. But come on shore where no joy dies. Till love hath gotten more. For swelling waves our panting breasts, Where never storms arise exchange, And be a while our guests. For stars gaze on our eyes, The compass love shall hourly sing, And as he goes about the ring, We will not miss to tell each point. He nameth with a kiss, Then come on shore, where no joy dies till love hath gotten more. You've been listening to The Dark Fantastic Podcast. Ahmed Khalifa is a filmmaker and novelist. He is the writer-director of several short films and a feature, released on Netflix, and the author of a number of novels and short stories, including, Beware the Stranger, available on Amazon.